Chapter 8 Encased once more in his formal gear, with pack and helmet by the door, Wiccan paced the kitchen tiles. Under his suit, his skin tingled from the sunsol. By the time they came back down the mountain, he'd had no need of special cover, Gom said. Wiccan grinned. So many salves and potions. One would think them regular apothecaries. His grin cut. Gom was more than that. Much more. I need to make ready. Wiccan poked his head out of the doorway, gazing up the passage he'd explored after his bath. Gom was making ready all right, and atop that little stair, and taking his time about it too. Do all outsiders make magic? No, not many learn the law. We call them wizards. This magic, could it wake the cure? Making it was like baking a cake, Wiccan had said in jest. But he imagined that it was much more difficult than that, or everyone would be doing it. What did it really entail? The elixir, for instance, that gave the power of common speech. Was making that like making remedies? That took much special knowledge of herbs and minerals, and other natural elements. Wiccan remembered visiting the galleries where the healers made their potions, pills, and poultices. Clouds of pungent smoke and vapour had boiled up from vats to hang about the benches and wreathe in and out the banks of brightly coloured flasks and jars. The Hicksad had all been dosed with cough syrup, triple distilled that very morning. It had burned their throats and made their eyes water and set them all a-coughing. He pictured Gom at that very moment, stirring a pot and sniffing to see if the mixture was done. Couldn't taste it, could he? Not if it had some strong effect. Magic. Strange power wielded with elixirs and words. Sometimes there's no time for words. Then you pull it out as light. He thought of the light that Gom had used to shut him in the bubble. That had been neither pill nor elixir. 
How had he made and stored that? Wiccan wished he could see, wished Grom had taken him up there with him. Dare he shift and go to take a peek? Wiccan straightened. Not in that gear. Could he reach into Gom's mind then? Stop that, or you'll be sorry. Too risky. Though, come to think, when they'd first met he'd done it, and Gom hadn't even suspected. But then Gom's thought had been open and unguarded. Now Gom knew of his gift, it was closed, hiding things he didn't want to share. Wiccan paced to the hearth and back, his spikes click-clicking on the flagstones. Come on, Gom! He pictured them slipping through the main gate on the tail of a patrol. That's if there were still patrols with all that was going on inside. They had to be. They had to keep the approaches to the gate secure. He was counting on it. Wiccan closed his eyes. Remembering the chaos, the dreadful sounds echoing up the stairwells, all on account of those three and their petty spite, opening the gate just to get him into trouble. Bomac must have known the dangers of the gate through his father. He certainly seemed to know all about other creek business. No use saying he'd not expected Chaw to get in. Was the fighting over? The Hicksad would still be up in the ice galleries. Istrid and Ismorok too. They'd all be safe at that level, surely and hating him. The hurt came back. The knowledge that they must blame him for it all. How many had died under the peak this past night? Might be dying still. As captain of the king's guards, Ethac would have been down in the thick of the fighting. Wiccan felt a prick of worry. His mentor was as near to a father as he'd ever known. He couldn't bear to think of him falling to those vile things. Wiccan's thought went to the Kier. How would he and Gom get her out of the mountain and down into the forest? With the spells Gom was making up there? Rapid footsteps sounded along the passage. 
Gone came hurrying around the bend, all bundled up in heavy clothes and toting gear. A backpack, a coil of thick rope, and a grapple hook. To get up that cliff, he said, holding out rope and hook. We can took them, hefted them, shouldered them, wincing. What about your magic? I told you that we couldn't afford to waste it. Gom poked out the fire and took one last look around the tidy kitchen. Then he slipped on his pack and took up his staff. Let's go. They hadn't travelled far when Wickham began to sweat under his thermal suit. According to Gom, this was a fine, mild fall afternoon and cool under the trees. But he couldn't be so happy either, all bulked up and bent under the weight of his pack. What did he have in that thing? Wiccan eyed Gom's back and the staff which he jabbed into the forest floor with every stride. It wouldn't have hurt to use a little spell, just enough to take them to the cliff, right up to the mountain gate, maybe. All that talk of being careful. Gom must have plenty of magic stored in that stick of his. They plodded along, single file, scarcely speaking, for it was difficult to keep a conversation going in that fashion, until suddenly Gom stopped, so suddenly that Wiccan bumped into him. How did you find me this morning? I didn't. Wiccan's voice came muffled from inside his helmet. I just followed a path, hit a clearing, and there you were. Path? Gom looked sceptical. Didn't you find the going hard? Well, yes, at first. Things got so bad at one point that I had to halt. Gom nodded, looking satisfied now. The forest doesn't care for outsiders, especially ones dressed like you. Yet something changed its mind. Enough not just to let you through, but lead you straight to me. What was it? I wish I could tell you, Wiccan said. Then, all at once, he remembered the diseased sapling, how he had restored it to health. It was right after then that he'd noticed the path which led him to the clearing. Was that it? He started to ask, then 
changed his mind. The last time he'd told Gom of a secret gift, he'd ended up in trouble. This one he meant to keep. Anyway, Wiccan told himself, Gom didn't tell him much, didn't trust him. When they'd beached the raft just now, Gom had made him shut his eyes and turn away while he made the lake disappear. They moved on, Wiccan saying not another word. It was mid-afternoon when they reached the foot of the cliff. By this time, Wiccan was hot and downright irritable. See? He waved his arm at the cliff's dark mass. It's sheer from top to bottom. There's no way up. He glared at Gom's staff in a meaningful way. But all Gom could see was visored helmet. Turning about, Gom strode off along the cliff base. Wiccan followed, making much of the weight of pack and gravel hook, until all at once Gom halted, gazing up. Into the heights, reared a section of rock fairly stepped with ledges where great granite slabs had sheared off to lie around like giant building blocks. Sighing, Wiccan unslung rope and hook. How did you know there'd be a way? Gom shrugged. I'm a mountain boy. And I am of the woodland, or I ought to be. I bet my folk are too. I just know it, thought Wiccan, gazing up. Wiccan watched Gom whirl the hook above his head, paying out the rope, increasing speed until, releasing it, he arced it up towards a likely spur of rock. The hook hit with a clang, caught, then slipped and plummeted towards them. Gom and Wiccan dodged sideways, out of range. Didn't seem so hard, thought Wiccan. He was taller than Gom, and probably stronger from all his undermountain training. Let me try. Wiccan did as Gom had done, whirling the hook about his head, paying out the rope, then arcing it way high. The hook struck the rock face with a loud clang and slithered down. Not as easy as it looked, Wiccan realised. What now? Gom picked up the hook and rope. We keep going until it bites. They took turns until Gom latched it solidly 
onto a crag right above their heads. Gom tugged it. It held. First Gom, then Wiccan, walked up the rock face until they reached the hook. There, Gom worked the hook free, then threw it once more. Time after time they threw it, climbing higher and higher until they finally reached the cliff top. There they coiled and slung the gear and set off up the spur. Time to stop. Vala reined in her horse, slid from her saddle. Ahead was a shallow dip, some shelter at least from the hard rain and gusting winds. At farewell signal the rest followed suit. In the failing light they set up camp, lit a fire, and broke out packs of wayfarers' bread and cakes of dried fruit. Over the spine of the high Sidlith they had come, riding passes shunned by all but the hardiest travellers. During the morning on the eastern face, the rains had been so bad they had had to stop and set up tents to shelter for a while. But in the afternoon, after crossing the ranger's ridge and starting down the western face, all was warmth and sunshine. The morning's struggle, though, had cost. Vala gazed around at the ring of fellow travellers in the firelight. Like ghosts they looked, tired ones at that, and trying not to show it. Though the going would be easier from that point, it was still more strenuous than the better travelled routes around the ranger's tail. What else could they do? While Lul Kinter had ever moved almost invisibly across the countryside, it had been from choice. Now they were fugitives, banned from the lakelands, crossing that hostile territory in danger of their lives. Hadn't the late lord vowed to have their heads if they were found inside his domain? After fourteen years the ban remained, and the hatred was unabated. Looking around, Vala well guessed that they were mindful of how things had changed, and that it weighed heavily upon them. Maybe they were even thinking back to the glory days, when Eurolf, nearing Skandabar, 
to claim the honour for his bride, had bid them all exchange their traveller's drab for their richest finery. Then they had ridden with Gonfalon and Fanfare into the city for all to see and admire. Vala let out a long and heartfelt sigh. If only... She shifted, straightening her back, smoothing out her frown. Dredging through the past, dwelling on what had been would get them nowhere. We make good speed, she called across the plains. Simiel looked up, that same Simiel who, with loving fingers, had fashioned Wiccan's baby shawl. I thought back on the other side of the range that we would have a rough time of it, and so we did. But now it seems the weather favours us as Hanselor said it would. From his place by Vala's side, Hanselor smiled. Hanselor, wise man and clan elder, though you would never guess it to look at him, he being so lusty and robust in his bearing, the only elder to defy Eurov's decree that all should go with him to Antalfan. He had gone with the survivors into the east and been a source of strength and wisdom through their fourteen long years of exile. At this turn of season, the winds boil westward over the lakes, fill the clouds to bursting, and rip their bellies on the Sidlith's crest. I never saw so much wet. I thought we'd drown. Strumar put an arm about his wife's shoulders. But now you might almost think it late summer. We'll surely be making up for lost time now, yes, Hanselor? We must, for we're bound to lose more crossing the wilds. Ah! Vala smiled up at him, always the cautious one. And for that we may all yet be thankful. We face an early start. I bid you all good night. The elder drained his flask, dusted himself down, and went off to his tent. The rest followed in dribs and drabs, save Thurwell who sat apart, unmoving. Vala, who had been about to go too, changed her mind. Soon just the two of them were left before the dying fire. Come, she said at length. You heard what Hanselor said. Thurwell didn't stir but sat staring at the fire, as though to keep it in existence solely by his will. 
Varlo slid over to sit beside him. You've scarcely spoken for two days. It is not good. Folk watch you, take strength from you. How can they if you bob along like a sack of straw? Farewell looked up now. I have made a grave mistake. How so? You were right. I have been driven by memories and long-held hope. But the farther west we go, the more our journey seems less a marking of grave events and more like plain folly. But you, how will they fare when they set eyes on the waste that was once our living forest? Shattered trees and shreds and shards of their belongings? What will it accomplish? What new thoughts, what fresh memories will they take back with them? Farewell, there can be no healing, only a rekindling of pain and grief that has taken these long years to lessen. Farewell sprang up. I stood over her. You never visited Strumar and Simeon's enclave, did you? It was perhaps the farthest from the concourse. And because of that, the freest and the merriest. Full half of our present colony comes from there. He pointed down to where he had been sitting, and Agnol, who sits next to me most nights, remember how we met him coming from the basin? He lost his entire family that day, and has never gotten over it. Everyone here lost someone. And now I see that far from putting memories to rest, going there will make us all relive them. Vala looked up at him, making no move to stand herself. You cannot speak for everyone. As you said the night before we left, each came with a clear mind and a free will. Who knows what drives each to make this journey? All you have done is make it possible. Suffice it now to let it run its course. The moon emerged briefly from massing night cloud outlining Farewell's shape, and Vala saw with a pang how lean had gone to thin, how now his shoulders sagged. She rose, looked up into his face. There can be no turning back. 
know. I referred to the journey there, Pharaoh, she said quietly. I. In a rush of understanding, Vala saw again the night Leona had fallen to her death. A night such as that one, all moonlight and deep shadow. Farewell, striding along the river bank, pausing to look out across the surging waters. We few who survived that day owe it to our kind to go on, she said quietly. I am sure that those who perished would beg us to prevail for their sake. Our immortality is the Yorkinta's greatest gift. We must not throw it away. Ah! Farrell kicked the fire's ashes, sending sparks up into the night. A gift, you say? It is a curse. A curse! He turned away, spun back to face her. What? Is the point. Life as we knew it is gone and never coming back. We endure endless days in a bleak enclave, skulking from those who'd do us harm and with no relief in sight. Vala took his hands, shook them lightly. Stand fast against the shadows, Farewell. We need you. The whole enclave needs you. Without you, everything will fall apart. Listen, I need you now. There is something I would share with you, and only you at this time. Oh, this morning, when we sheltered in our tents, I saw Gon. Thelwa looked sharp. How say you? I was looking into my bow. Oh, you mean in a vision. No, I do not, Thelwa. I had just filled my bowl and looked up and there he was, standing just inside the tent. Farrell frowned. Where did he come from? And how did he know where we were? Vala spread her hands. I asked him those very questions, but he didn't seem to see or hear me. He was calling out. My name, I'm sure, but he made no sound. It was very quick. Before I could collect myself, he vanished. A vision, as I said. No, Vala looked annoyed. He was as real and solid as you and I standing here. Was he all right? They exchanged glances. Both well knew how apt Gon was to find trouble. 
or how it found him. He seemed in one piece. He looked more stirred than anything. I think I'm sure he was trying to reach me, to tell me something. And in the strangest manner, are you sure you did not mistake? Farewell. Is he not a wizard now? The best in all not counting Hogger, and smarter by far than all of those doddering greybeards who pretend to the title. He's looking for me, on what level I can only guess. If I'm right, I hope he'll try again. And if he does, you'll let me know? Well, of course. Farewell, let me, he raised a hand. No more. I know what you mean to say. No, you don't. This is not just to do with you, but with us all. Hanselor and I have spoken much about it lately. We feel we need to change direction. We're heading west, Vala. Her smile was quick and gone. No, I mean we few Yulkinter who survive need to make changes. Our old way of life went up in flames that day. Our law, our laws, our literature. It's time to start afresh. Farewell folded his arms. How? We must move out. Heal wounds. Repair the damage between the lake folk and us. Take chances. Offer what we have for mortal folk out here. Share our knowledge and put our gifts at their service. Your kinter helping mortals? <laughs> it's not in our nature. Yet I once heard that you would turn aside to save a stranded minnow. A last ember shifted, sending out brief flame. Farrell watched it flare, watched the shower of sparks rise up into the night air. Go to bed, cousin, and let me know if Gom shows up. Good night. He took her hand, kissed it, then turned about and strode off into shadow.